This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. Hello. Today on the show, we are going to talk about the Hulu documentary, Death in the Dorms. It's a 2023 documentary. Our yep. first of this year, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think whatever we've done recently has been 2022. So mm-hmm. Death in the Dorms will be the... It's only got one season. It's got six episodes. And I... I enjoyed this. I don't know if enjoyment is really what you can say about this documentary. It's informative. It was informative, and I thought it was well done. And each each episode is its own story, which is an interesting thing as well. And I know that there are some other ones that are coming out that are kind of like that, where you know it's four to six episodes, and each one is independent of itself. But there's a theme, so. This one is the kind of danger that no college student is ever prepared for. A life cut short just when it was getting started, not by accident, but by foul play. Each procedural episode will examine a different murder of a college student in the U.S. And so that's what it does. Which, again, not an enjoyable topic, but in our industry, and I think specifically in Kathy's world, you teach on a college campus, but she also does risk assessment and, mm-hmm. you know, risk factors for college campuses and young people. And there was a lot of that in this. A lot, a lot, mm-hmm. a lot, a lot. Did you find it informative? Or yeah. You know what? Here, a couple of things that I liked about this documentary was the diversity among the, I mean, that sounds bad. I like the diversity among victims. I liked the diverse representation yes. um, because I think sometimes these can get pretty criticized for, and never to minimize anybody's loss of a life, but it tends to be young white women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they did a great job at expanding on gender, ethnicity, and geographics it looked all over the country it looked at both young men and women it looked at you know uh, white folks asian folks hispanic folks and i think that is more of a representation of how crime affects anybody and this is a very 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 vulnerable age to this stuff happening and as we get into this we'll talk a little bit about how all of them knew their perpetrators Yeah, I also thought just to add on to your diversity comment is that the diversity of the context of the of the murder as well is where they yeah different stuff yeah and they were obviously trying to do that to give a more varied experience and understanding of how at risk college students can be because you know one was a domestic violence situation one was a hazing fraternity situation. Uh, one was an Uber situation, mm-hmm. you know, trusting Uber. There was one or two that just seemed that were... Yeah, that I'm sorry, that would be, be the exception is the Uber driver. I think the rest of them, they knew their perps. 
Yeah, and there was one where it was a very brief knowing, someone you meet at a party and then they kill you. Yeah. So so it wasn't all it wasn't all like domestic violence where people you know and trust. There was a two or three that were things that very much happen all the time is someone meets you and kills you and it's very hard to track that kind of murder because there's no there's no connection except for that night or that day. Yeah. Um, even though I did feel like, you know, these were like a lot of true crime series that are in, you know, each episode is independent. It kind of wraps it up. Right. And, and they aren't all convicted and they aren't, it doesn't all, you know, tie up in a bow for the family, but there's a lot of family in these, which I thought was respectful, like mm-hmm. having the family interviewed and talk about their perspective and how it was for them and that was kind of the big interview component of this so you had the like tracking the crime part with the cops and then you also had the interviews with the family members and so you actually got to know the victims and who they were which right I they weren't just exploiting the story yeah, yeah. I, I really appreciated that so I felt like it was pretty solid it really pulled at our empathy I know the first episode was just so brutal. It was a young woman who went to UCLA and ended up uh, in a, uh, her room being set on fire after this guy did, you know, would kind of freaked out and wanted to get rid of anything that could allude to him being part of, you know, stealing from her and violating her and all this stuff. And they, you know, find her body, they find her dog still alive and the dog needs to put down. And basically because this dog has been separated from, the one thing that it loves the most and then the family having to come in and hear that and then put the dog down. I mean, they really developed this whole story um, and they do it in a way that really brings the humanity to it. And like you were saying, Shannon, I think a lot of it, you know, when you watch forensic files and you watch all these other things, as much as I love those shows, you're, there's a distance uh, you're removed from the emotion of it. Mm -hmm. And this one Obviously, if there's a dog in it, I'm always going to be emotional. But not even just that story. All of them brought a level of emotion and empathy that these don't. These documentaries don't typically do. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. You brought up the. You know, I teach assessment, and one of my colleagues on campus is the head threat assessment officer, and he comes in and he talks to my my class each year, and he he and I have had several discussions around getting more clinicians trained in threat assessment, especially on school campuses and, and university campuses, mm-hmm. just because this really is a thing and it's an increasing thing for, an, a, for a number of reasons. I mean, I imagine your research bears out the such a vulnerable population. Horrifically vulnerable for a lot of reasons. Threat is something that tends to be overlooked because most people, if you know someone, you are less likely to just assume that this person may do something harmful, right? So sometimes it it almost takes until the event has happened for it to be believed that that person could go to such an extent. What we know about threat, though, is that anytime you look back after someone has been killed in situations like this, that the perpetrator, and we're finding, I know we're, you and I are going to do an episode on the Idaho state murders in, um, next month, but if you follow this dude's trajectory and the amount of warning signs that were there, there were plenty, and there are in these cases as well, and specifically in 
the case with Yardley Love, who was dating the the athlete, George, who was the lacrosse player, you know, they were even saying, look, there were so many chances to shut this guy down, to take him off the team, for the university to butt in and say, listen, you're going to lose your contract. You're going to get kicked out of school. But you look, this kid had a lot of privilege. He brought a lot to the, the athletic department at the university, which means money. And there, with threat, what we know about threat, it is very rare, if ever, that there are no signs leading up to this. Right now, in these some of these other cases where you have the Uber driver for the South Carolina story, which is episode five, Sammy, which they ended up developing something called Sammy's Law due to her story, which means now the Uber driver has to confirm who they are. If you've noticed over the last couple of years, if you call an Uber there has to be that exchange um, to make sure that you're not just getting picked up by a stranger. In those cases, obviously, there's no way to know. But in some of these other cases where they know their perpetrator and the university students and professors know that there's stuff going on and we ignore it, nine times out of 10, this is how these events happen. When we are assessing risk, what we tell people is if any time you hear from a, another faculty or another student, hey, this person kind of makes me feel uncomfortable. There's some troubling behavior. That is our first warning sign to go in and at least talk to that person. But it's oftentimes completely ignored because we just assume that nothing's going to happen. Threat is very easy to catch if people stop giving people the benefit of the doubt. And that doesn't mean we have to label them as high risk. It means this is our chance to go in to see whether they are high risk. It's accountability yeah. and boundaries. That's it's right. like giving people smaller accountabilities. It's like in any work and in any of our work, really. Yep. Even with kids, it's like you give them accountability for their behavior, the natural and logical consequences of their behavior along the way and stop saving them from that. Right. Then they are corrected early mm -hmm. and don't get into a situation where they're they've gone wild with entitlement to do whatever they exactly. want. Exactly. So yeah. you're saving them from themselves, you're saving them from harming other people, but that is what we know statistically in threat in the research of threat assessment is there are always warning signs there. If you go back to Virginia Tech, my I think it was Virginia Tech, I don't want to misquote, but I believe it was this case where he was having shit shipped to the university. And there was a box that was unopened and they were they didn't even ask him what it was. They allowed him to take the box. It like it arrived at the dorm sure. shipping. It it obviously looked like something inappropriate. They never asked him about it. He lied about the contents of it. And that was the, the, you know, these were the situ, these are the situations where the next thing, you know, a bomb is going off, a gun is going off because we're just like, nah, no big deal. Not, you know, we don't need to Turning assess the this. blind eye, you know? Yeah. And also just the, um, you know, that, that idea of diffusion of responsibility, somebody else will catch it. It's not my problem, but it ends up becoming everyone's problem and creates just a contagion effect of all these different things that we see in campuses and people knowing that they can get away with things because nothing's investigated. Well, that was the fraternity death yes. episode as well, is that, you know, universities know that all of this kind of thing is happening. And I remember in the early 90s, sort of the turn between 80s and 90s, there was a lot of fraternities being shut down mm -hmm. across the United States. But I know specifically in California, there were a lot of fraternities getting in trouble for, you know, and, and 
being shut down because of sexual assault and all of these other and hazing rituals and different things that were happening. And then, you know, and then we find out, you know, it just keeps going. They yeah. just, they do what they're supposed to do mm-hmm. to get out of trouble, just like mm-hmm. anybody. And then it, it starts again. And then if the universities don't hold them accountable to those kinds of things, it just keeps going. And then it builds and builds and builds and becomes an issue again. And then that we just cycle through that because there's no correction of like what Kathy's saying of the accountability piece that can come in. Yeah. That yeah. one, that one kid that, uh, I guess the family ended up, you know, su- civilly suing his, yeah, his for, family for, quite a for bit. $15 million. Yeah. Well, they got $15 million. They sued for a lot more yeah. because that family was wealthy. Right. And so they had to figure out how to hold him accountable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for hard. sure. Hard so to watch. <laughs> I think some of the risk factors that we see in um, on college campuses are, first of all, we have to look at age So we know that the brain is still developing at that time and doesn't technically finish maturing until our mid and some research now showing to late 20s. And we know that the last part of the brain to develop is our prefrontal cortex. And this is the last, this is the part of the brain that is responsible for our impulse control, our planning, our prioritizing, our using rationale, using proper judgment and insight. So how is that related to this? Well, it's not about victim blaming, but it's about remembering what it's like to be 21 and not always making the best decisions because one, you haven't had the life experience yet. Two, most of the perpetrators are people in their lives. So they're trusting them. And not picking up on the subtleties or the things that may actually, you know, we are, we are taught from an early age, especially women, we are taught to nurture and give people the benefit of the doubt. That is a horrible message. You know, be the bigger person, all of these things. Yes, there's a time and a place to do that and respected, reciprocating, healthy relationships, but we shouldn't just be doing that. If someone is asking you, if they can help take groceries to your car and it is seven o'clock at night, I don't care if it's four o'clock in the afternoon and you are parked somewhere and you feel bad because you don't want to say no to this quote unquote gentleman, you are being naive. You do not have to say, uh, uh, okay, sure. Because society tells me if I say no, I'm being a bitch. And they might call you a bitch. Be a bitch. That's what happens. And that's how they bully you. That's right. Because that's happened to me before. I think that's happened mm-hmm. to a lot of us, a lot of people before yep. when you set boundaries with someone. And what I always tell people is like setting boundaries is hard, but withstanding the reaction to your boundaries is the worst part of yep. it. Yes. So. Because if you are someone who comes from a healthier family or a family that just gave those messages, then you may feel like, oh, I'm, I don't know if it's okay for me to say no. They are asking to help me. We also know in college that um, this is the age where we see the onset of mental illness. And I want to be careful because I've said on many shows, I don't want people to think I'm contradicting myself. Mental illness in itself does not contribute to violence or danger. But I'm not just talking about mental illness. I'm also talking about mental disorders, personality, all of these other things that could contribute to people behaving in ways that are unhealthy. If we're looking at mental illness, we could be looking at the onset of psychotic disorders, people who are having delusions or paranoia. And if 
these are delusions or paranoia that are making someone believe they're in danger, they could react in certain ways that could be problematic or dangerous. So this is the age where people's mental health might be changing. Then you add all the different factors to that. So what else happens in college? We have an increase in stress. All of a sudden we're doing amounts of work and, and quality of work that we've never done before. Some of, some of us might be living away from home and don't have the protective factors that we had while we were at home. Yeah. There was a lot of isolation. Isolation. Yeah. The kid who was in the the hazing group, yes. it, Michael in Pennsylvania, I think it was, he was looking for a sense of belongingness. And we find that a lot too, is these kids who come out, maybe they weren't, didn't have a lot of friends in high school or they moved across the country. There's a sense of relatedness in fraternities, but we know that hazing still is a thing. Um, he was vulnerable to that. Yeah. And there was a youth that came from another country. Yes. Christian. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. He came from another country and was here and his family was back in his home country is the way I interpreted it. I'm not sure if they actually. Yeah. In like Columbia or something. Yeah. Yeah. And and so he was obviously isolated very far away from his family. And that is often, I think the thing is when you go away, quote unquote, go away to college, even if it's a few hours away, you're isolating from everything that you already know and you're and you're meeting all new people right. and all new and you don't necessarily have the assessment skills right. to know whether or not those are healthy people or yep. good He's people and there's a lot of alcohol yeah oh yes <laughs> there's a lot of alcohol so that's the other thing Shannon brings up another risk factor which is an increase in drugs and alcohol that they've never maybe consumed before and without a fully developing brain now we have a lot of you know less inhibition with a brain that isn't fully formed so no breaks in the car so to speak i want to go back to george for a second um as a risk factor this is also coming up in the idaho state murders is we know that especially with white men who tend to be more narcissistic or sociopathic and or sociopathic, the number one way to get them to rage is through humiliation. He was humiliated by her rejection. So was homeboy, the Idaho State. He was bullied. He was heavier. This tends to be that sense of entitlement that we see early on. These personality disorders are developing at this age. They're becoming adults. This George kid, you know, ends up sending a series of messages, basically selling himself out, saying, I should have just killed you. Yeah. He was so humiliated by her rejection. So well, and I think one of the other episodes, too, was he it ended up being that I think the young man that came from Columbia, he ended up being murdered over a girl. Yep. Yeah. Yes. So that was a humiliation piece, yep. too. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, women can definitely have that in them as well. It's just that there is a there's a social piece, I think, with men reacting to that level of humiliation, maybe when they've never been told no in their life. I don't know. And then, you know, so there's the entitlement piece, the hazing, the stress, and then domestic violence. We know that nine times out of 10 college students in dating relationships who are assaulted either sexually or physically, nine, time, nine times out of 10, they know their perpetrators, their acquaintances, their friends, their dating partners. That's where the, the trust is developed. So there's higher rates of that. You're moving out of your home. You're no longer in high school. You're living with your friends. You're pretty much living with your partners. If you're dating, people are, you know, cohabitating. There's a higher chance for things to happen. And then like you're saying, Shannon, then you throw some alcohol in there and it's the perfect storm. So bad decisions, bad decisions mixed with some not so great people. Because most of the young people who were the perpetrators in this not all of them were involved in the college life, but 
many of them were, and they're not making the best decisions either. So there's that ability to like the risk factors for perpetrating, I think all have to do with these things you're listing, mm -hmm. the alcohol, the, the stress, the mental health stuff, the brain not fully, you know, formed, all of that stuff is risk factors on both sides. Right. It's like whether or not some of these people would have ended up offending later in life is a different assessment because these situations could have been handled so much, so much more differently if these things were being attended to as well mm -hmm. by themselves, by people in their lives. And then of course the, the victims obviously were, yeah. were having these risk factors as well. Honestly, I mean, I, it was very informative and a very interesting and I thought well thought out and, and well done documentary for me, but I also wondered how I got through college alive. I agree. <laughs> I went and just to your twenties in general. Well, fair. And sometimes after that, but yeah, no, I, I, I often look back at college days cause I did go away to college. I did, you know, live in the dorms, met roommates, lived with roommates, went to parties, you know, engaged in more drinking than I had ever done before mm -hmm. at that age. And that was part, you know, you get crushes on people and engage in liking people, them not liking you, spending the night in places that you wouldn't normally spend the night in, mm -hmm. you know, even just if it's falling asleep on a couch at a party, stuff like that. Like, and then, so watching this, yeah, it makes me think like, so I, many opportunities for things to go wrong. So, and then, you know, then there's like a hundred other things I could think of that situations that I put myself in. But then I can also think of a lot of situations where I opted out because mm -hmm. I had a bad feeling Yep. and then bad things happen to other people. Yeah. And so I, I feel like there are a lot of young people that do follow that instinct of this doesn't feel right. This is wrong. Maybe they had people that trained them to do that. Maybe they had people in their lives that allowed them to have that feeling. You know, a mm -hmm. lot of times I think as parents, you can, you can tell your kids, I don't care. I won't punish you. You call me if there's a problem. Yep. And I think that is the best way to, you have to follow through on yes. not the, no punishing. I mean, maybe a discussion of course, yeah. uh, and some talk about how we can navigate that differently next time. But those kinds of get out of jail free cards for your kids would be save their life. very appropriate and would save their life. And your need to punish them for whatever behavior they've engaged in hopefully can be set aside so that you can allow them to get out of in instinctual situations where they know something is wrong and they want to get out. Yeah, because a, a normal amount of teenage and college age mischief is appropriate for development. If you just scare them out of doing anything wrong, you're going to lose them. They're going to do something stupid and they're not going to tell you about it. Yeah. And get themselves in situations where they do kind of what Kathy's saying, which is believe the world is good. Believe the world is all good and that, and not develop their instinct for judging that. Right. Mm -hmm. So if they don't have an inherent instinct for this doesn't feel right. And I need to trust my gut. Like that's what you want to really do is develop the trust your gut thing. And I, and I don't think I know neither one of us are saying that these people could have gotten out of these no, situations no, no, if no. they had done yeah. X, Y, Z, or if their parents simple. had done X, Y, Z. I'm, this isn't, this isn't about blaming. This is just, 
maybe there's some way I was kind of just talking about myself and like, how did I, how did I ever get through it with? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's so many opportunities for things to go wrong. So many opportunities, so many opportunities. And it could have been me. Like, I think we can all kind of all say that too. Mm -hmm. Like it, I, I'm, all of us put ourselves in situations like that, that, you know, on the, on the wrong day in the wrong situation with the wrong person, something like this could have happened. And I think that's one of the things about watching this that was uh, terrifying and unsettling. Yep. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Terror Talk. I know that in the next few weeks, we're going to tackle some more Hulu documentaries and we're also going going to discuss the latest in the Idaho state murders or the Moscow murders, depending on what part of the country you're in, the, mm-hmm. depending on what they call it. So thank you so much for listening. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone.